Welcome to Core Nourishment. I'm Annie Wagner, your host. This podcast is designed to empower, inspire, ignite presence, purpose, and intention in your day. Welcome back to the Core Nourishment Podcast. This is Annie Wagner, your host, and happy August, everyone. I cannot believe how quickly the summer is flying by. It has been wonderfully full, and I am having so much fun diving back into a rhythm with my podcast, and I so appreciate every single one of you tuning in. If you are interested in being a guest or have feedback, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. You can find me at AnnieWagner.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Core Nourishment. And if you haven't already done so, if you wouldn't mind just taking a quick moment to head on over to Apple Podcasts and offer a rating and a review, I would so deeply appreciate it. So for today's episode, I had so much fun chatting with Andrea Myers. She is a doctor of physical therapy, board certified orthopedic specialist, a bike fitter extraordinaire, ex-pro road cyclist, fierce runner, and a certified running coach. She is a queen problem solver and deeply passionate about helping others discover strength and possibility beyond what they think that they're capable of. Andrea is one incredible, strong, bright, and inspiring human. In this episode, she talks about the importance of family and being present, growing up as a science nerd, Zwifting with her nephew and his friends during the beginning of COVID times, and shares about her love of learning through PT school. Andrea opens up about moving to Connecticut to train as a professional cyclist, meeting her now husband, who is her biggest cheerleader, and conquering Mount Washington on her bike not only once, but three times, and after battling and recovering from a huge injury. Other topics we discuss include not giving up, mental training, mindset, and resilience. There is so much richness and wisdom in this episode. You are going to be so glad that you are listening to it and feeling Andrea's magnificent heart, her knowledge, passion, and energy. If you're interested in learning more from her, please check out Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable. She is a monthly guest speaker on that, and you can also find her at classcycles.com. Enjoy. All right, we're live. Yes. Hi, Andrea. It's so good to have you here. Hey, Annie. It's great to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I've been like just giddy and so excited about interviewing you and just getting a chance to learn more about you and your story. Um, So thanks for joining me. Well, thanks. I've been having so much fun listening to your podcast and getting to know what seems like the amazing like health and wellness community that you have up on the seacoast. So thank you for expanding my world a little bit. Oh, it's awesome. I know. I love that. You know, podcasting is such a cool platform in that way too. It's like, A, we get to connect even though you're a few hours away. And also like just in general, the, all the incredible abundance of resource we have just accessible through podcasts. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was thinking about that the other day, like just how much more knowledge you can bring to people through podcasts that you couldn't through other forms of media, right? Yeah. Especially because 
it's so easy to like listen to a podcast on your phone when you're running or like play it on your speakers in your car. I find listening to podcasts when I'm driving to be so much more engaging and such a better use of my time than just listening to the radio. Totally. You can learn while you're commuting to work, which is amazing. I know. I was just about to say, I feel like I have, it's like going back to school sometimes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am learning so much. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that podcasts, you learn different things compared to like if someone wrote an article or if you're reading a textbook, because they are a little more casual because it's conversational. You can really I think get a deeper sense of somebody's knowledge and experience than you can if you're just reading something that they wrote and polished up. So yeah, I, I love podcasts. So thanks again so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. I'm so excited to dive in. Um, And I love to start as we talked about with like, what is enlivening you? What's nourishing you right now? You know, I would say what is nourishing me the most right now is family. Um, We've been going through some health things with some family members. And my husband just had this incredible conversation with one of his cousins. And it just reminded me like how much we need each other. Mm -hmm. And even just like being present with each other and acknowledging what somebody is going through can be so powerful and helping somebody through a rough time. So I'm just so thankful for our family and friends and for their support. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely what was going through my head last night and this morning. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Andrea. That's like, I feel like just the gift of presence is being able to ground back in that. Um, absolutely remembering just like for me, that's, that's such an important part of my life. Um, and something I, try and not always, you know, right. I try to really come back to like, you know what, what is the absolute most essential thing? It's just being right here, you know? Absolutely. Um, And sometimes like, that's the best thing that you can do for another person is just like, be there with them. You don't have to say anything profound. You don't have to do anything, but just like being there is an incredibly powerful thing we can do for each other as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And so hard to remember that sometimes when, especially if, you know, I know for me, my inclination is to want to help or make things better or fix. And it's like, wait, no, actually that's, that's actually the best thing we can do. As you just said, is sometimes just sit right with them in it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree that I definitely find myself like falling into the fixer category, especially (laughs) as a PT, you know, if someone has a problem like you want to solve it for them, but sometimes like, that's not what they want you to do. And sometimes you just have to be there and be like, yep, this sucks. And just be there as they're going through it. And that can be hard to do if your personality is such that like, you're used to solving people's problems because that's part of your profession. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And in my opportunity, having gotten to know you a little bit, Andrea, like I would say, especially after I had like such the gift of opportunity to meet with you um, for my bike fit, which we're going to dive in a, in a little yes. bit. I was like, whoa, she is a queen problem solver. Like you're like looking for those things to help, you know? So right. um, on that note, like let's 
Let's, I'd love for you to share with listeners, like you're, you're a doctor of physical therapy. Um, I'm going to say you're the queen bike fitter, (laughs) um, which you've actually transitioned to doing more full-time, which is amazing. Um, along with physical therapy. And then you also have some exciting news you're adding to your business. So yeah, yeah, like, let's like, what led you? Let's start there. What led you to want to become um, this queen of taking care of people? (laughs) Well, I definitely didn't come to it the way that, you know, a lot of people in the medical profession do. Like, some people just knew from when they were a little kid that they wanted to be like, a doctor or a nurse or a PT. Um, when I was a little kid, I was a total science nerd. Um, <laughs> my sisters still make fun of me that when we went to the mall of America, we got to choose like one toy to buy. And the <laughs> toy that I bought was an acid rain testing kit. Awesome. <laughs> I was always so disappointed that I never found any acid rain in Illinois where we lived. I was about to ask, did you have any luck any? Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> and, you know, looking back, like, what is an acid rain testing kit? It was probably like a test tube and some pH strips. Right. And they probably charged like 50 bucks for it or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the parents are like, okay, okay. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I was fortunate to attend the Illinois Math and Science Academy for high school, which opened up just huge opportunities for me in um, like molecular biology research. I got to go to the University of Illinois at Chicago as a junior in high school and do research once a week in an immunology lab. Wow. So, you know, all through high school, my plan was I was going to go to college and get my PhD in molecular biology and then, you know, do research at a university. Um, so I, you know, went to the university of Illinois, majored in molecular biology, and I was lucky enough to get a internship after my freshman year at a pharmaceutical company. And, you know, it was an amazing experience. I was working in a cancer research lab, but it just, you know, I was old enough by then to realize like, okay, this is what this job is going to be like day in and day out. And I didn't really want to do that the rest of my life. So, you know, here I am at 19, like, oh, well, what am I going to do? I really like what I'm studying, but I don't want it to end up like this. So I thought about like, okay, what else can I do with my major? And I didn't really want to go to med school. Um, Like I had a few friends whose parents were doctors and they just seemed kind of miserable all the time. You know, they were never home. They were always working. And, you know, I didn't want a life like that. So my older sister had actually thought about going into physical therapy. So I thought, oh, well, maybe that's something that I would like. And fortunately, even before you apply to PT school, you have to get a ton of observation hours in a PT clinic. So I, you know, I grew up in a like medium sized city in Illinois. So once, let's say it would have been the summer after my sophomore year, I just cold called some PT clinics in my town and asked if anyone would let me come observe. And the first place that said yes, turned out to be like, you know, they're still like my model for what PT should be. It was just this awesome privately owned clinic, two PTs who had known each other for years. And they just made 
physical therapy and the whole experience just fun. You know, you're and you have people who are in pain, like they're there because they don't feel well. But the patients were having a good time, you know, and and the therapist there, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. They just figured out how to make it like a light environment and a happy place to be. And I just fell in love with the profession. Like I wanted to be like those two PTs. So like that, that settled it for me. Um, I applied to PT school and got in. So I went to St. Ambrose University, which is in Iowa. And it was just the ideal uh, program for me. It was very orthopedics based. And, you know, sometimes when you choose a grad school, you don't always know everything about like how their curriculum is focused. But I really hit the jackpot with St. Ambrose because they taught and they still teach in a very different way than a lot of PT schools. They really teach you how to think rather than memorizing. So I would say like the first year, you know, because you do clinical rotations throughout your schooling. Mm -hmm. um, It was a little frustrating because they hadn't like made us memorize protocols or you know, if you have a rotator cuff patient, here's like the list of things you do with them. One of my professors had this great saying, which, you know, sometimes we found annoying, but he was right. And he would say, if you know your anatomy and have a purpose, you can treat patients. And he's absolutely right. And, you know, as a new PT student, that could be frustrating because it's like, well, but we don't know everything, but they wanted us to learn how to figure it out. And now with like the niche that I have, I am so thankful that that is how I was taught because a lot of what I do with like bike fitting, there's no protocol for how you do it. It's all problem solving based on the individual. Right. Right. And, you know, I just, I give such props to my professors at St. Ambrose because I'm just so grateful for my education and what it has helped me be able to do. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I love that, especially getting the sense of your personality. I can only imagine like how you really like um, absorbed that, you know, and that challenge, like, oh, yeah. you know, and, and also that empowerment to really help all of you build that confidence inside Absolutely. versus relying on memorizing things or being told what to do, you know? Right. And, you know, another nice thing about this program is it was small. Like, I think they capped each class at like 30 students. And now that I'm thinking about it, there are a number of my classmates who either own their own businesses or have started like an unusual type of practice. So, you know, maybe that has something to do with how we were taught. Yeah. 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 That's super cool. Do you stay in touch with a lot of people that you went to school with? Yeah. And, you know, social media makes it pretty easy. Um, My best friend from PT school, she and I actually both like quit our clinic jobs and started doing our own thing full time, I think within a month of each other. Oh, Which, really? That's yeah. Amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. She's out in Nebraska. She owns her own like mobile PT practice, but you know, she and she and I were very well matched. We had a lot of fun in PT school together for sure. That's so cool. I love hearing you use the word fun so much too, Andrea, because that's the thing that um, 
you know, in the past or just knowing other people who've, who've gone through PT school or just vigorous schooling, like, um, fun isn't always one of the top words that you, you know, <laughs> that's so true. I love that. That's what I sense from you though, from, you know, all the, the different, um, spokes. So I'll use a, <laughs> a bike analogy uh-huh. here, but like all the different spokes that you, um, to have traveled on and, and still incorporate in your business as well as in your life. Like there's just a, a sense of, um, energy and joy and, and fun that I, I sense from you, which is, yeah. Huge. Yeah. That's contagious. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I hope that in my work with patients, fitting clients, coaching clients, that my attitude and energy helps contribute to their motivation. You know, like I can't do it for them, but I can sure try like as hard as I can to like boost them up. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it's huge. I, um, I'll be a a testimonial for you in that sense. So thank (laughs) you for, you helped boost me when I was with you. So. Oh, well, it was a pleasure doing a bike fit for you. And I love seeing your uh, cycling photos on your Instagram. Oh, I know. That's fun. Um, my husband is a good photographer. I'm like, how are you taking that while we're riding? Like, (laughs) Very impressive. Very good. Yeah. Um, But on that note of boosting, like who in your life has boosted you when you've gone through a hard time? Hmm. Well, you know, I'm lucky to have a really supportive family. Uh, My parents have always been very supportive of all of my ventures. Um, And I have two sisters and, you know, we're all we're pretty different from each other. And I think it's probably good that we're pretty different because otherwise I think we would have been pretty competitive with each other when we were younger. Mm. Um, but like b- both of my sisters are just such rock stars in my eyes in terms of what they have done. So like we really lean on each other when we need advice or um, just support in whatever is currently happening in our lives. So I would definitely say my family, my husband, um, I met my husband when I moved to Connecticut, I moved here, um, for professional bike racing and, you know, didn't know anybody besides my like coach and my teammates. So the manager of my team has known my husband since they were teenagers. And basically he set us up. And I was so mad at him when he did that. I was like, I didn't move to Connecticut for you to like set me up with somebody like I'm here to race bikes. And of course, after like hanging out with Drew, my now husband for like, you know, a couple hours, I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Now I, now I'm open. Yeah. To that. <laughs> yeah you're my, you might be on to something here. <laughs> so, great. you know, my husband is like my biggest supporter when you know, I first thought about like trying to do a little bit of bike fitting on my own. He was the best supporter, you know, absolutely do it. You know, you're going to be great at that. And as you know, I moved further and further away from working in the clinic, he's been like my number one cheerleader at every step. Right. Which that makes such a difference, especially like when you're taking a risk Mm. in terms of there's a big difference in job security between like working for someone else full-time and taking that leap to own your own business and your income is totally dependent on what you do. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. and it would be really hard if your spouse didn't like a hundred percent support you in that. And he is 
Drew is just so supportive and he, he always encourages me to, you know, try the next crazy idea I've come up with. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And my family is, you know, my biggest asset and thing that I am thankful for, for sure. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Andrea. That's amazing. So is your family, do you have family near you or like physically located near you now? I know you moved kind of further away to Connecticut. Um, My uh, husband's parents live uh, in the same town that we do, but otherwise, no, all of my family is out in the Midwest. Um, But thankfully there's group texts and FaceTime and You know, it was hard during the pandemic not seeing my family for a couple of years because, um, of course, I was being very careful since I was still seeing patients in the clinic and yeah. certainly wouldn't want to bring something out to them. Um, but I I see my family at least two or three times a year. So yeah, that's and lots, lots of um, FaceTime, text, you know, so it feels like we're together. That's amazing. I know I am so thankful, especially over the last few years for technology in that way, like oh, absolutely. You know, to, feel, to still feel so connected to certain people, you know, despite not seeing them in person, you know, yeah. so very thankful. Yeah. yeah. One of the, I, I was very thankful for technology, specifically Zwift during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you Zwift? So Anthony and I got into Zwift. Um, we're now, we've kind of switched to trainer road, um, uh-huh. but, but we do love like Zwift is so cool and uh, <laughs> just amazing. I was blown away, but I was so blown away that just the creativity and the thought um, that go into it. It's oh, absolutely. So. Well, you know, when the pandemic started and everything shut down, I have a nephew who he's now almost 12. So he was like, I guess nine at the start of the pandemic and he's very athletic. And of course my husband and I made it our goal that he would love bikes, which he does. <laughs> so my sister called me, you know, in like April of 2020 and she's like, I need something for Christopher to do, you know, cause all of his sports yeah. had stopped and my brother-in-law is a triathlete. So they have a kicker and Zwift. And I said, well, if you put his bike on the kicker all Zwift with him. So amazing. we started Swifting like two or three days a week and we would FaceTime while we Swifted because, you know, Zwift has that like keep you together function. So, I mean, I never in a million years would have spent that much time with my nephew if it weren't for Zwift making it possible for us to like ride bikes together, even though we're 2000 miles apart. That's incredible, Andrea. Like, yeah. like, like multiple things there, but the fact that, okay, like here is a, a hidden gift of the pandemic. There was, you know, so much upheaval, but the fact that, you know, then there was this opportunity for that to happen in space. And then that you and Drew, like, were like, nope, we're going to get him to love bikes. And then <laughs> just reached out and like, what a gift for both of you. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Cool it progressed to the point where, cause he has a few other friends who, you know, ride bikes or do like kids triathlons. So they wanted to Zwift with us too. So at one point it was me Zwifting with four, like 10 or 11 year olds. That's awesome. <laughs> Were they getting pretty competitive with it? Too? I can imagine. <laughs> it, you know, we kept it pretty calm, but there yeah. were some sprints at the end. Yeah. So yeah. 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And then you can play with, you know, your avatar and like your your kit and you know, oh, yeah. like all that fun stuff that is yeah. this this really like you know, fitness video game, right? It you totally know? is. Yeah. Like so many features of Zwift are really great for kids of all ages, right? Like I would have us do the route that had dinosaurs on it, or like the route where like the bear falls out of the tree and they all got a kick out of on Halloween, how your avatar has, I think one year they turned everyone into skeletons. So oh, yeah, kids loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. How cool it will be when you get the opportunity to ride perhaps with him in person. Yes. yes. Yeah. Our next um, goal is to ride the 15 miles from his house to my parents' house, which oh. is on like a bike path along the Mississippi river. So he said he's down for it. So I love it. Yeah. So cool. That's fantastic. So let's go, let's talk a little bit more about your biking because you are an ex pro road cyclist. Um, when did you get into road cycling? And, um, I have more questions, but let's start there. (laughs) So I got into cycling when I was in PT school. Um, I was a lifelong runner. Like my parents are runners. So like we started doing like mile running, you know, like the kitty races when I was like four. Um, so I ran the Chicago marathon when I was a junior in college and like definitely got like the marathon bug. So I was training for a second marathon and, you know, it was either from like increasing my mileage too fast, or I was also doing a lot of my long runs on like very crowned farm roads. So I started having like a knee issue, like patellofemoral pain. Mm. So, you know, I went back and forth, took some time off, tried running, you know, what, what everyone does, right? Went to PT, (laughs) (laughs) but every time I tried running, it hurt. So I needed something to do. So I started taking spin classes, um, and just like fell in love with it. Right. And the person who taught these spin classes happened to be a road racer. And, you know, we got to know each other and he was like, you know, you would be a great cyclist. And I, every time he said that, I was like, no, you know, I'm just doing this until I can run again. No, thanks. (laughs) But, you know, after probably like six months of like trying to run, my knee still hurt. Um, it was like, okay, tell me more about this biking thing. So I mean, this guy was just like so generous with his time and knowledge. He introduced me to like this awesome club. This was out in Illinois. Um, Like out here, we have some cycling clubs, but it's definitely not the same as out there where you really have like this club culture and their group rides and they kind of like teach new riders how to ride in a group. And if you're interested in racing, they kind of take you under their wing. So this guy lent me a bike, did a bike fit for me and introduced me to like this awesome group of people to ride with. And because, you know, I had a lot of fitness from running and also from all of these spin classes I was doing, I could keep up with like, you know, pretty fast people off the bat. Like I didn't know how to handle my bike. (laughs) Like I definitely (laughs) had to learn how to go downhill and corner and everything. But I mean, they just like, I'm so grateful to this group of guys. The team's called dice. It's still out in the quad cities. Um, 
they taught me what I needed to know. And what, there were a couple women on this team and we were all kind of in a similar situation, like new to cycling, but not new to exercise. Mm-hmm. And the three of us just like fell in love with racing, like every weekend going to a race somewhere else and just working our way up through the categories. So, so um, I went from a cat four to a cat one in, let's see, like two and a half years. Um, that's amazing. (laughs) my gosh. So when I, uh, Basically, I got offered to race for this professional team that was based here in Connecticut, right, as I was getting ready to graduate from PT school. And they said, you know, we want you on the team, but everyone has to live in Connecticut. I was like, okay. You know, and I I actually was intending on moving to Arizona because growing up in Illinois, winter is not very pleasant. So my plan was never going to experience winter again. That wasn't a good move on my part, but I, you know, I thought to myself, okay, I'll move to Connecticut for a year, see how it goes. Yeah. I want to move to Arizona after that. I certainly can do that. But of course, then I met Drew. And actually I love Connecticut. Like I love that if you drew like a three hour radius from Southwestern Connecticut, where I live, you can be in so many different places. And the Midwest is not like that. Like you have to drive pretty far to get to like different landscape, but you know, I could be in New York city. I could be in Boston. I could be in the mountains in Vermont could be at the ocean in Rhode Island. Like it's just such a great part of the country to live in. Um, and the winters are not as bad as Illinois. So, <laughs> so it's doable for you. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I'm unhappy with Connecticut's winter, I just look up the weather in Illinois and I'm like, mm, there you go. So yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I was going to ask you what you think of Connecticut. Cause I actually, so I went to college in Connecticut and mm-hmm. then, um, lived in Connecticut for a year, which is where my son was born, um, before we moved up this way. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with Connecticut. And it's funny because I'm like, bike racing, I would never have known. But of course, for me, road cy- like cycling is just, just becoming really like a, another big love for me now. Like I've mm-hmm. always loved biking, but I'm really getting more into it in the last couple of years. Um, so tell me more about, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Connecticut and the bike racing scene. And I want to know what is, and this might be separate from Connecticut, but what is your favorite race you've done and where? Um, So Connecticut has actually produced a number of professional racers. Um, You know, the landscape is tough here. Actually, Mm -hmm. there's a guy from Italy who won the baby Giro, if you know what that is. Um, And he moved over here to race for Colavita, which is a like domestic pro team. But he said, riding in Connecticut is harder than riding in the mountains in Italy. Because even when you're like in the mountains, you can still choose to do a flat ride in the valley. And there is no flat ride in Connecticut. (laughs) He's like, I can't, you know, even on recovery rides, you're climbing. So he said like it, it, and it's really true. I think Strava said that their data shows that riders in Connecticut do like the most 
feet of climbing per mile than any other state? Wow. And to me, it's like, you know, I think mountains. So I think like Northern New Hampshire, Vermont, my, my brain's like, they would be like more hilly, more, more climbs, but they probably have more flat areas to balance. Right. Versus, yeah. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I tell that to people here a lot because it's like, if you're not already in good shape in Connecticut, it is mm-hmm. hard to get started biking because where are you going to go that you're not going to end up climbing like 70 to 80 feet per mile or more, depending which part of Connecticut you're in. Yeah. 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 So, um, I just learned something new. I love it. (laughs) I would say the racing scene in the Northeast is very strong. Like I found that, and I mean, racing has changed. Like now the regional races just don't get the numbers that they did, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, but Back when I was racing, the regional races were very competitive, so they could really be used as prep for like the national or international level races. Mm-hmm. Um, just in like Fairfield County alone, and one of them has moved, but one woman I trained with, you know, she also raced professionally, you know, placed very well at Philadelphia and some of the other big stage races. Another one. I think she was top 10 at Philly, which is insane. Um, and she still rides. Like, I think she's in her like fifties and she still just shows up on group rides and crushes the racers. Yeah. So inspiring. So we do have a good racing community here. Um, a lot of good races within driving distance. Favorite race. Hmm. I think my favorite race for the experience was the tour of Prince Edward Island. It was a beautiful, maybe six day stage race. And they only had it for a couple of years, but I did it the first year they had it. And it was put on by the same organizer as the Montreal world cup. And when you're doing UCI level races, like the organizer has to provide all of the racers, like housing and food and everything. So they wanted the racers to like it so that, you know, more teams would come back next year. So, I mean, they put us up in like the nicest hotels on the island. The food was just like unreal, which is not always the case. Like sometimes you're getting like cafeteria food. Yeah. (laughs) And Prince Edward Island is just so gorgeous. Oh my, I mean, you almost feel like you're in like a movie, some of the landscape, Um, so that was definitely like the most enjoyable race. I, I would say like the race that I am happiest about is the race up Mount Washington. Oh, that's right. We chatted about this. I want to hear more about this. in, In cycling, like some, some riders are stronger at climbing. Some riders are stronger at time trailing. Some riders are stronger at like sprinting. And I was definitely more of like an all-around rider. Like I was good at time trialing. I could sprint in the right situation. I could climb as long as it wasn't too steep. But, you know, I'm not like this tiny little mountain goat, right? And to me, like I knew people who had done that Mount Washington race. And I always thought that just sounds crazy. (laughs) Why would anyone want to do that? And then as I got like out of, you know, doing like a full season of racing, I started and just doing more events that interested me. I thought, gosh, 
maybe I should do Mount Washington. (laughs) So I did it with less than optimal gearing. Um, For those who have done it, it's really a good idea to have like one-to-one gearing. And my easiest gear was a 3432. And that was a less than enjoy, you know, not that Mount Washington would ever be enjoyable, but I was definitely pedaling at like 50 RPM for a lot of the climb. So what is the steepest grade in Mount Washington? Like, I mean, it's like, I think it's like 25%. And it's at the end. (laughs) You're like, like the last, I don't know, 100, 200 meters are the steepest. And it just looks like a wall and it's a switchback. So it's, Yeah, very painful. Um, and the whole way up, I'm just thinking, this is horrible. Like, <laughs> why did I use this gearing? And as soon as I finished, I was like, I'm doing it next year and I'm using better gearing. Which is incredible that that was your statement versus <laughs> I'm never doing this again. Right. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's your fierceness right there. So how'd so it go? The first year I got fifth. And then the second year I came back with better gearing and I got fourth. I was like, all right, that was better. Now next year, like I really know the mountain and I'm going to be ready. So next year I used the same gearing. I changed my position a little bit though. Um, Because if you think about it, if Mount Washington is 7.6 miles and it averages 12% incline, So you'd want to set up your bike so that you have the best leverage for that type of incline, Mm -hmm. which basically means if you're using like your road position that you would use in like a regular race, when you're on Mount Washington, you have very poor leverage because you're basically far behind the bottom bracket. And like in studying other people who had done well, like pictures of their bikes, it's like, I know what I need to do. So there goes sl- that problem solver. You know, exactly. Yeah. yeah study this. So, <laughs> so you slam your saddle forward and you tilt it down because then when you're on a 12% grade, that gives you the best leverage for that type of incline. And so I, I was the most prepared in the three years that I had done it. And I looked at the starting list and I was like, oh my gosh, like so many fast women had signed up. So I thought I'm going to be lucky if I get like seventh or eighth this year. And I just told myself that it's like, you know what? There are a lot of fast women. You're just going to go out there and do your best. And they, it, it's not like a regular bike race where there's drafting, right? It's almost more like a running race where you just go ride your race at your pace and you see what you can do. I, you know, I race with a power meter, so I knew what wattage I needed to be around. And it's really easy to go out too hard at the beginning. Oh my gosh, especially in climbing. Like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so hard to control. <laughs> so, you know, I go out, dial in, like at mile two, I shift and my chain falls off. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so I have to stop and put it back on. But, you know, I was just like in the zone. So I got back on the bike and I told myself, well, you got a little bit of recovery. Now get back at it. And I just started passing people who had passed me because I was off the bike. And, you know, you know, Mount Washington, right? So like mile five is a dirt road, although now they paved it, which is sad. 
but mile five, it's tough because it's dirt, it's exposed. And at mile five, I passed the woman who had won the previous year. And I was like, holy crap. Like (laughs) I just passed her. (laughs) And then I passed a woman who had just beaten me the previous year at like mile six. I was like, what place am I in? You know, like I didn't know, but I knew that I had passed like several people that I thought would for sure beat me. And as I'm crossing the line, Marty Shea, who's like the queen of Mount Washington, who wasn't racing, but announcing, she's like, and here's the third place woman. And I was like, you know, I was like crying. I could not believe it. You know, like amazing, the hardest year, you know, the strongest field. It's like, how did I do, you know, but I just had a plan. I didn't worry about what other people were doing. I didn't let like my little mechanical like phase me and I just did what I planned to do. And I also accepted if anyone's thinking about during Mount Washington, the most important thing to know is that there is no break like every other climb somewhere it gets easier and (laughs) Mount Washington does not. So you just have to go into it knowing that there will be no place where it gets easier and it's just going to be hard the entire way to the finish. And like, once you have that in your head and like you've accepted what is coming for you, it like your expectations have to meet reality, right? Like if you're expecting that somewhere you're going to get a break, well then that's where you start to panic and like doubt yourself. But if you just go in knowing this is going to be hard, it's going to be hard the whole way, but that's just how it is. Then that results in a better performance. So incredible. I mean, the mindset muscle piece to me is like, absolutely. I mean, as, as an athlete and then, you know, listening to you and knowing you have quite the experience in athletics, you know, and as a runner, and then you became a cyclist, clearly your mindset muscle is pretty strong, but to then for the third year in a row to go into this and just the level of steadiness, Andrea, that's incredible to me. Like that's, that's absolutely inspiring and amazing. So, and I think such a big part of what helped you get to that third place finish, you know, because I I also imagine that you're pretty humble, like that some of those top, uh, fierce women who you were like, holy shit, I'm racing against these women. (laughs) We're probably saying the exact same thing I saw you back on that list. Like, oh, she's here again. And she, you know, so yeah. Yeah. You know, isn't that funny though? Like we never think about that, right? I know. Like it's so easy to get in your head and think about like all of the doubts that you have and to forget that other, your competitors have those same doubts and to also forget that if you're suffering, your competitors are suffering too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Do you have a specific word or phrase that's like your go-to when you're like, okay, this, this sucks right now. And, but I'm, I'm going to shift this. I need to kind of help shift my, my vision and my attitude or my mental state. You know, I, what works best for me and it changes like month to month is like, usually there is a song that like really Mm -hmm. inspires me for like a period of time. And right now it is unstoppable, which I think is quite possibly the best like 
athletic song ever. Um, absolutely awesome. I love it. Yes. Yeah. But you know what else helped me a lot? I ran. So after bike racing at a very high level for many years, I kind of transitioned back into running to see like, you know, have some new goals and whatever. And I ran a marathon last year and my boss at the clinic I used to work at is a big David Goggins fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I got his book and read that and you know what Goggins of course does not hold back on language. Right. Right. But I think the way that, and you know, he's talking about your like inner self-critic, he calls it your inner bitch, which I actually think is a really good description. Yeah. But to like, try to make that part of your psyche separate from who you are. I think it's really helpful in athletic performance to realize that like that critical voice in our heads is not acting in our best interest. It comes out when we care a lot about the outcome of something we're doing and we can learn how to silence it. Mm -hmm. So that helped me so much in the marathon I ran last year because, you know, the last marathon I ran was like 18 years prior. Right. And even though like, you know, I could do anything on a bike, like I didn't know if I was going to be able to do a marathon, even though, you know, my training went well and whatever, but just think it like really working on silencing that inner critic and like reminding myself of what I've done in the past, like mm-hmm. what I'm capable of, how prepared I am. That just, I, my mind for that marathon I ran last year, I was so proud of just how I handled like the mental part of that race. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I love that. And I so appreciate you sharing that. There's that real raw piece, you know, that's a part of all of us. It is say, like different intensity levels for different people, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I'm glad that I love hearing you say like the thing you're most proud of, you know, yes, you did your first marathon, which is huge <laughs> in 18 years. Um, and successfully it sounds like, but also that it was the mental piece that you really helped to strengthen and shift for yourself. Yeah. I yeah. like that. I think more coaches and even more athletes are becoming more aware of just the importance of mental training in performance. Um, I'm fortunate to have an old teammate and good friend, Kristen Keim, who is a sports psychologist. Um, You know, she's sports psychologist to Olympians and professional athletes. And she really helped me um, several years ago when I had an injury. Um, You know, when I don't know if you've been an athlete your whole life, I think you have, right? Like it, it becomes part of your identity, right? And Back in 2013, I hurt my neck and I couldn't ride my bike for a year. And all of a sudden, like the thing that I was spending like 15 hours a week doing and like a lot of my friendships and, you know, my social life, I didn't have that anymore. And she really helped me realize that it's very important to not let your sport take up too much of your identity. Because, you know, none of us are going to have our sports forever or be able to compete at like the highest level we've ever been at. So one, it's important to try to be a more well-rounded person because someday 
like our sport is going to have to take a back seat. But also when your performance in your sport isn't everything, it helps you deal with the pressures of your sport, mm-hmm. right? Like I I can't remember which marathon runner it was. Maybe it was Kira D'Amato, but she's one of like the top female marathoners in an interview recently. She's like, you know what? When I finish like a professional marathon or like the world championships, when I go home and see my kids, they don't care what place I got. They're like, mom, you know, what's for dinner? And she said, it makes me remember that to them, my performance in running is not what's important to them. And that like your friends and family don't judge you based on like what your time was or what your place was or whatever. Like they love you you for you. Right. right? Doesn't make you any less lovable if you didn't hit your like goal time or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can all remind ourselves of that, that like, yeah, like we care a lot about our goals. Like I care a lot about like my marathon time that I'm going to do this fall. But if I don't meet my goal, none of my friends are going to like me any less. You know, my family isn't going to judge me if I don't meet the goal that I've set for myself. Right. So reminding yourself of that can sometimes help to take the pressure off because we remind ourselves that we're just doing this for us. Right. And we're not letting people down if something doesn't go perfectly. Yeah. Gosh, Angela, I, I wish I had learned that so much earlier in my, my life. Uh, I've, I've, I have a very, very loud, I'll just say bitchy inner critic. Yes. (laughs) Um, and I have done a lot of work with that part of me and I feel like I'm in a much healthier place. Um, but I'm reflecting back to even being a teenager and just in my sports, like just devastated, like just now in my, also my wisdom and just all my learning and, and yoga practice too. It's like recognizing that, okay, that's, that's ego. And that's part of our developmental stages, psychologically too, you know, growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just so appreciate you talking about this because I also think like by recognizing that, you know, our sport or even, you know, our physical activity doesn't define who we are and doesn't change, you know, um, I guess us liking it's, it's really just all about us and, um, can bring more fun and joy back to it too, which ultimately is like, at least for me, was the whole reason why I got into (laughs) specific activities or athletics that I did. So, um, I'm hearing that from you too, or just witnessing that in your smile and you're talking about it. Like, yeah, it sounds like this sports psychologist, this woman really helped you recognize, um, when you were going through that injury, that, that there are other parts of you that are so beautiful and alive, even when you're injured and that, um, you can come back to it and have, have fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I got to the point with that injury where I kind of accepted, like, I'm just not going to be able to ride a bike again because my neck isn't going to be able to handle like being in that position. So, you know, I started like hiking and doing other stuff and like she actually, you know, and talking about like becoming more well-rounded and like working on other aspects of life. She had asked me if I ever considered coaching. I was like, you know, people have asked me to coach them, but I don't really think I would be good at that. And she's like, well, do you think there's a reason that 
people ask you to coach them? And I was like, well, maybe. And, you know, not long after that, one of my friends asked me if I would be her coach. And I was like, you know what? I, I, yes, I will coach you. And it gave me such joy to still be involved in cycling, which Mm -hmm. at that point, I didn't think I was going to personally be riding again, but like to be able to help my friend progress with her racing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now I have a coaching business and I'm expanding to runners, but like sometimes the universe just puts the right people in your life at the right time and someone, you know, nudges you in the right direction and it can change your life. So, you know, I give her, my friend Kristen, the psychologist, so much credit for like recognizing that that would be something that, you know, would allow me to help others, but would also bring me joy. And, you know, I, I'd gotten to the point where I like fully accepted, like, okay, I'm just not writing again. And I did this hike that was really hard and it had like some rock scramble on it. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is going to make my neck so much worse, but it didn't. I was like, huh, if that didn't make my neck worse, maybe I can ride a bike. So I took my cyclocross bike, which was like a little more upright. I put like the shortest, like steepest angle stem I could find on it. I put on the trainer and I rode for 10 minutes. My neck didn't hurt. It's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, I, I rode a bike. So, and I was so afraid of like hurting myself again. So I just, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. You know, I would just ride for like 15 minutes and 20 minutes. And like, finally, I think when I got up to like an hour on the trainer, I was like, all right, I'm going to go ride outside. And I just like slowly built back up. And I've got to say like not being able to ride for a year and like having so much time to think about how much I missed riding Mm. made me appreciate riding so much more when I finally was able to do it again. Because, you know, like when you do something for a long time, you take it for granted. Some days you don't really feel like doing it, but you just do it because that's what you do. But like when I finally could come back to riding, it was like, you know, learning, you know, when I first got into biking, like that type of joy and love for it. Um, And it was actually after that, that I started, you know, doing Mount Washington. So, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Andrea, that's incredible. So my, you know, my big message to people, and I share this story with people, especially patients, because like I had PT colleagues who were like, yeah, you're not going to be able to write again. Like your neck is just not going to handle it. And like that really deflated me. And so ever since then, I have been so careful with my patients to never like take someone's hope away like that. Mm. Like, unless I am a hundred percent sure that someone is not going to be able to do something like why shut that door? Because people surprise you all the time. So I am very cautious in my language with patients and clients, like, look, it's going to be hard. I don't know if you're going to be able to do it this year or next year, but maybe if you take it like one step at a time, like it's always possible. 
But two, like I have really learned not to give up on myself because, you know, I did, I gave up on cycling. I just thought I'm done. Like I'm not going to be able to do it again. And in a way, I'm glad that I was able to get to that point and like be at peace with not being able to do it because I think it changed my relationship with the sport. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like if you love something, let it go. Um, but I've also learned like things can be really hard and they can be hard for longer than we think they're going to be. And a lot of times it can feel easier to just give up and say, oh, well, I'm just never going to be able to do that again. And you know what, for some people, maybe that's like the right choice for them, like mentally or just where they're at in their lives. But I, now I definitely hold out the possibility of things getting better. Um, and I hope that if anyone's listening, going through like an injury or something where they feel like there's just no light at the end of the tunnel, just know that it might take longer than you think. And the way that you get back to it might be different, but it can still happen. So don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm just in such a hall, Andrea, with your story. And so appreciate you sharing the depth of it as well. I imagine there are a lot of people out there who can relate. I know I can. I've definitely been battling injuries on and off and I've had that relationship. For me, it's with running. Um, And one of the things I really appreciate about you is just how much you clearly want to help others and guide people to a place of strength and possibility. Like that word is so important. Um, and like helping people to realize like what they're truly capable of physically, but also, also mentally and, you know, emotionally in that way. So, yeah, I think, you know, actually one thing you asked about, like, do you have like a mantra or something? One thing I say to myself a lot is you are capable of more than you think. Mm. And we are all capable of more than we think. Like our brains put limits on us, but when we you know, free ourselves from our preconceived notions or others' expectations. You know, maybe someone said to you, oh, well, you'll never be able to run a marathon like you're to whatever. If we put all of that aside and just remind ourselves that we are capable of so much more than we think, because the human mind and body are incredible. Yeah just leave the door open to being able to do something you think is impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I have the chills right now and I'm now feeling like super motivated to like (laughs) (laughs) just go out there and shine. It's it's awesome. Um, Speaking of being capable um, and you've now shifted back to running, I'm curious to know if you're now going to run up Mount Washington after oh, you biked up three times. <laughs> so <laughs> where you're at with that. <laughs> one of my good friends, actually my like best training partner for both cycling and running, she has run up Mount Washington, I think twice. So she's always asking me like, oh, you know, why don't you do that? And when I rode up Mount Washington, I always thought to myself, running up this would be so much worse than riding. (laughs) And now I still think that, but now that I know people like more than one person who has run up it, it's like, Hmm. um, 
what shoes would I wear? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there's that little part of you that's coming more, more alive. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> So um, like I said, you never want to uh, rule anything out. <laughs> you're keeping that door open. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, speaking of not ruling anything out, back when I was, I don't know, in college maybe, um, I remember my dad showing me an article about a woman from, you know, near where I was from, who had been a runner, got injured, got into cycling, and she was an Olympian. Her name's Christine Thorburn. She's one of like the greatest American female cyclist. And when he showed me that article, I was like, cycling looks like such a dumb sport. I would never be interested in doing it. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. So yeah, I should just keep my mouth shut if somebody, you know, suggests something new and maybe be a little more open to <laughs> <laughs> it's so real though that that like real human part of us is so quick to be like huh what no and right then, like, yeah and then, you, know, you became a professional cyclist and then the part of you that was riding up and saying i would never run up this is now right. like, oh, maybe yeah, maybe yeah. yeah yeah what's the quote from ted lasso be curious not judgmental oh i love that show yes, yes. that's so good and curiosity is i think one of the most one of the most important you know, parts to, to fuel, to nourish. You oh, know? absolutely. And it just changes oh. your mindset. Like when you're judgmental, it's like you're shutting your mind, mm -hmm. but when you're curious, you're opening your mind to other perspectives or like other ways of understanding a situation. So it, I mean, be curious, not judgmental could apply to like any life situation. Right. Totally. Yeah. So many pieces. I love that. Um, Andrea, I feel like we could talk forever. I, I think so. Yes. Your time, our time. Um, I guess, you know, just to review, you know, for listeners out there, Andrea, you know, seeing people. So your, your place is in Connecticut. You're, mm -hmm. You have an office in the back of a bike shop. Um, where can people find you if they're interested in physical therapy and bike fits and rent coaching? Because yep. now that was the third year you just added. Yeah. So you can find me. I, I do bike fitting and PT at Class Cycles in Southbury, Connecticut. And so if you go to their website, you can find my webpage. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Just look up Andrea Myers DPT. Um, and I am now starting a run coaching business through Sherpa, which is a training facility down in Westport, Connecticut. So and I actually just had some nice conversations with a couple of uh, potential clients yesterday. So I'm really just excited to expand uh, my offerings to the running world. That's fabulous. I'm so excited for you. And speaking of running world, Andrea, you're also um, a guest um, often on the Doctors of Running podcast, correct? Yes. Or you're part of that. You're not. Yeah, even, yeah. I'm a contributor to Doctors okay. of Running. So I host their podcast once a month, but I join them sometimes more frequently than that just to, you know, talk about whatever topic we're discussing that week. Um, but I review running shoes. Um, we write articles about like, running performance. So that website is doctorsofrunning.com and we're on every social media platform imaginable. Just look for doctors of running. But yeah, uh, that's been a really great avenue for me to, you know, learn more about shoe technology, 
um, to learn more about like my own footwear preferences. I've definitely tried shoes. I never would have tried on my own. And it's just, I love my doctors of running colleagues. Like it's a great group of PTs. We're spread all over the country, but we have some really good, uh, Facebook messenger conversations about all things shoes and running. So you, you all sound like you have so much fun and I have learned, I've loved listening. I've learned a lot of, um, just, just a lot of stuff. It's been really helpful for me. Oh, that's great. Um, and even like the nutrition pieces are really, yeah, there's so much on there listeners. So I definitely encourage you to tune in if you're a runner. Yeah. Cool. The podcast is on, you know, Spotify podcasts on Apple, and we also post them on YouTube. So you can check them out. We do an episode every week. That's awesome. Well, this has been a blast, Andrea, and I can't wait just to stay in touch and, um, you know, to hear about next, you know, next couple of years when you're running up Mount Washington in that race. <laughs> it <laughs> might know. happen. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So thank you for being such an inspiring force. Oh, thanks so much, Annie. It was so nice to be on. Thank you. Mm-hmm.